Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Nikki Doeg and Frances Davis were half of the crew known as Yorkshire Rose, who rode across the Atlantic as part of the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge in 2015. They subsequently wrote a book, all four of them, called Four Mums in a Boat, charting their journey from Saturday morning river rowing novices to full-blown ocean rowers. It's a story of the highs and lows, the mum guilt, the juggling of jobs, families, training, insane amounts of organisation, fundraising, and finally, the row itself. The chat is fun and so funny. These two middle-aged women regularly reminded me of my own girlfriends just trying to carve out precious time for themselves amongst all the noise and busyness of life. We chat about the importance of just saying yes, even if you think you'd be no good at it, or the slowest, the last, the least natural at it. Saying yes to this adventure led them to finding their truest selves as well as best friends who became just like family. If you want to be inspired to step out of your comfort zone in order to achieve something great, then please listen to these women and then read their incredible book and laugh and cry your way across the Atlantic with them. Just brilliant. So, Francis and Nikki, two of the four mums in a boat, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Nice to be here. And so I've I've reread the book because it's just brilliant and I will put a link to it in the show notes and it was and I'm an aficionado of ocean rowing books. I'm sitting here looking at uh Kiko Matthews, Deborah Veal, Sarah Uten, all, you know, just all the most incredible female rowers and I just I loved 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 the story. So you were four. I've only got two of you and the reason I have two is because you met Graham, my husband doing the marathon de sable. And Francis, I believe back in the beginning, this, the the sort of, I know you'd all been at Rowing Club together, which we'll come on to, but this was your brainchild. It it was. And I had read Deborah Veal's book from, I don't know, something like 2005, I think she'd written that. And I borrowed it from the library when my children were kind of two and three at the time. And I just thought, what a great, great armchair adventure. I never thought for a second I would be able to do it I'd never rode at that point at all and I certainly wouldn't have done it on my own so I was really blessed when I found these three friends who were prepared to do it with me and so Nikki you uh were the last to join the boat what was it that finally sort of twisted your arm into it or what gave you that final push it wasn't so much giving me the push. I wanted to do it desperately. <laughs> and it was more the concerns. Um, Gareth, my husband, rightly, I had two, I had the, I think, youngest child. So he was quite little at that point. And I, he was just, we worked together. We had our own business together. And I think he just was really concerned that something would happen to us and um, that would impact the business as well as him. And the kids were too young. So he just had lots of very valid concerns. And um, I had to just really <laughs> work on him. I wouldn't say work on him, but I just had to try and sort of really persevere and point out all the positives. And I was land crew uh, for quite a long time. And actually the thing that, that kind of did it was, I think my husband just turned around and said, 
you're so involved you might as well let me do the row as well otherwise <laughs> um, and that's kind of where it got to so I always did want to do it it was just the, the sort of home life situation that kind of was quite hard yeah I mean the, the so the title of the book four mums in a boat and the big question that I know th- throughout and you've just sort of touched on it there you having the youngest kids the, the whole mum mum's doing this and there's a point where you know people made you feel like you were selfish not something a mother should do how did you manage that I I think we worried a little bit about that and probably worried more than other people did very very few people made any comments it it was only you know I don't know one percent of people I think who'd suggested that but we were quite conscious of it and I think felt you know, agonised a little bit, were we being selfish in taking three months away from our children? And that was really hard to say goodbye to them. But the children didn't, the children completely did not mind us being away. (laughs) You know, I asked my youngest son, who's now 18, not so long ago, if he missed me when I was away and if he minded. And he said, well, you you weren't away for very long. So no, I didn't miss you at all. And Nikki, with yours being even younger, how old were they at the time? Um, I think Aidan was six, um, seven. Um, How old is he now? No, no, maybe a bit older. When we first started, it was six or seven. I think by the time we did the row, he was probably um, about nine, eight or nine. But no, it was difficult. I think it, it was that, I think... It's, it's very wrong because actually husbands do an awful lot with the kids and, and I think you all provide a role in, in bringing up your kids. But I don't, I don't know, I, I'm a bit of a control freak and I, I kind of maybe thought that maybe they couldn't do without me. Mm. Um, and probably one of the better lessons that I learned when I was away was that they can do absolutely fine without me. And uh, it's a bit heartbreaking, but it's true, you know, and I think I think extracting myself from, from family life a little bit was quite healthy actually but I did worry for the, for the kids well no I, I totally get that and actually of all of the your stories in the book yours sort of rung the most true to me I suppose because I am a, I felt like I'm a little bit like you I like I sort of feel indispensable and you know I and your planning before you went away was hilarious that's exactly <laughs> what I do when I go away well I used to I used to and I don't anymore because I very similarly started to going away a bit more when my kids were about similar age and suddenly I thought oh look at that (laughs) they've got a a relationship with their father that means that I don't have to be there and it's it was lovely for all of them as well because they sort of forged this stronger bond yeah it's it's a lovely thing to do actually and and I think the big thing that that I found as well was that um, I didn't have to be quite so organized and actually if things don't get washed people don't get fed you know what they don't let themselves starve they can sort themselves out yeah exactly no I don't fill the freezer anymore (laughs) I just I you know I I just say right go there there's food and you you'll find you'll be fine (laughs) so I'm gonna go back wind back wind back wind back you started and you all met I think there were some connections between the three of you, but Jeanette was a new addition, wasn't she, to to all of you when you started at the rowing club on a Saturday morning. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So Nikki, Helen and I have children in the same school year. So we all knew each other from dropping off and picking up our um, sons at school. But Jeanette's children were in a different year. So we hadn't met her before. But she turned up at the rowing club the same day that we all turned up at the rowing club. And I mean, you can read in the book, there's a chapter about our first disastrous trips out on the river. <laughs> 
but it what a lesson for us all that you know you absolutely do not have to be good at something to enjoy it and we had such a laugh the first few times we went out and it you know we really looked forward to our saturday mornings a couple of hours out on the river and then having coffee and cake afterwards I think it sounds lovely. And I loved the part where the, you came off the river for the first time and realized that some of the newbies would never, ever, ever come back. But all four of you with snot dripping and, and <laughs> ruddy cheeks were going, oh, that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and I love that. And I think that's also, you know, that must go to the, the whole mum sort of looking after yourself so that you're doing something that you enjoy and therefore you come back all revitalized and refreshed. Yeah, rowing's one of those things as well where you can't really concentrate on anything else except rowing. Mm. So you do have to concentrate. It's a very technical sport. Mm. I thought you'd just get in a boat and just you know, <laughs> up and down the river. It's not quite like that. You really, really do have to concentrate. And because of that, you're not thinking about all the other things mm. that normally go on in your head. And it was just that freedom. And I think some of the things we saw, you know, some of the wildlife we saw were right in the centre of York. But, mm. you know, on that river, it just gave you a little taste, you know, of something different. And so getting out, sort of trying something new and uh, you you said in the book, it sort of just that step, that first step of trying something new took you into this huge adventure. And I think from what I can gather, almost more importantly, the friendship that the four of you formed over the year, over the three years. Absolutely. We went through something that was so unique and we really had to trust each other and rely on each other. And we, we, we just... We were so determined that we would remain friends as we rode across and remain friends and still be friends when we stepped off the boat. And it was, Mm. you know, we wanted to stay alive, first of all. That was the most important thing. (laughs) But, you know, much more important than finishing the race was staying friends with each other. And we, yeah, we did do that. Because well, I totally and utterly get that. I did a, a ski mountaineering race just after you did Marathon de Sable, actually, and uh, with a team of three girls. And our number one goal that we wrote down, and that was our thing, was to finish and having had fun and and, rem- and be friends at the end. Because I've seen people cross that finish line, not even speaking to each other and never speaking <laughs> to each other again. So because it's hard because you, when you're out in these things, you, as you say in the book, you really see who somebody is. Yeah. And, and I think it was it was not just out in the boat because we had, you know, going on close to you know, two and a half years mm. plus um, preparations and very stressful preparations because there's a lot of money to to raise for mm. this sort of event and there's the pressure of are we going to do it are we not we did have to actually uh, borrow some money to to buy the boat and then was were we going to be able to pay that back you know it, it was it was all of those pressures as well as the time to train and prepare and raise the money and you know fitting all that in around full-time work kids and the rest of it you know, that was really tough. So I think one of the things that I think we always managed to do was we always managed to laugh. And that Mm. was quite nice. You know, we'd go off on trips away and we'd end up in some of the strangest little bed and breakfast type places. And we would just have such a giggle. And that is what got us through it all, I think. And do you think that some of those memories of the journey are as precious as being on the boat for the, 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 the time you were away on the ocean? Definitely. We was it it was a joyful two years, as stressful as it was and as intensive as it was. We we as Nikki says, we had such a laugh and 
found ourselves in such astonishing places. You know, we were so, so lucky that the race organisers invited us up to Skye. So we took our boat along all these tiny little roads in Scotland, nearly running out of petrol, Mm -hmm. over the Skye Bridge and, you know, to be up there. And we hit on the one day in Scotland that year where the sun was shining, which was astonishing. (laughs) And, you know, those, those memories will, you know, last us forever. Just brilliant. And did you know at the time that that would be part of it? And that might sound like a silly question, but the first time I did something that I trained a long time for and I didn't have all the sort of, you know, all the masses of organization and and so on that you had, but I was raising money for charity and I was training for a huge thing. I was training for an ultramarathon and I'd never actually run more than 12 kilometers at once ever. And when I finished the ultramarathon, Actually, I was able to look back and see the whole thing as not just the four days that I'd been out there, but like the whole package. But I didn't know that at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I don't I don't think I anticipated what we would be going through and what we'd experience together. And I think the the people often just talk about the time we were on the ocean, but mm. my most precious memories are actually there's there's, there's a lot from the ocean. But there was a lot of time not on the ocean. Um, And like Francis said, you know, visiting Sky, we we did some incredible things. I mean, we crossed the North Sea. Uh, We forget about that. We did that. And that was great fun. And there was so many disasters on that, complete disasters (laughs) where we learned so much. But we had such a giggle with it all. And it it, it was, I think when I look back at it, I kind of remember those elements of it more than Mm. I do the actual row. So I agree with you. And so the and so the North Sea adventure, you you broke a record by doing that, didn't you? That was part of your training for the Ocean Row. Well, I think we were the the own. I think we perhaps still are the only female team to ever have rowed across the North Sea. But I contacted Guinness about it, and they said that there aren't any records for rowing across the North Sea because it's not a recognised start and finish point. So they they weren't um. having any of it. <laughs> did try, did we? Yeah. Oh, well, still. <laughs> you know you have the record. Um, and so, and, and tell me, talk to me a little bit about the disasters on that first trip. That sort of, I mean, I loved the fact you sort of all turned up and you said it, you know, in the book, which, by the way, is so amazingly written. I loved how that you managed to tell the story from the we perspective, but bring in your individual voices, just by the way, thought that was absolutely amazing. I loved that. Um, but you all say in the boat that you just sort of, you saw it as a, a fun, a part, you know, part of the adventure, part of the practice, but hadn't actually thought, of, thought through some of the practical elements of it when you sort of turned up. No, we didn't. We were, we were horribly underprepared for that one <laughs> we really were we didn't even have a, a life raft you know I don't know what we were thinking we turned <laughs> up and I think because the road that we were doing was so big that this not you know a couple of days we just thought oh we'll just hop in the boat and go across it'd be fine <laughs> and we didn't even have a map did we Francis so we had to actually negotiate with one of the other crews that were doing it because we'd got a map off the internet and it was the wrong it was the wrong one <laughs> And so there's a bit of wheeling and dealing going on, you know, before we set off to try and get the correct map or chart, I should say. So, yes. yeah, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a funny old, funny old time. And that's when you realised that one of your crewmates um, suffered a little bit from seasickness. Yeah, but, you know, that's right. Helen 
knew that she suffered from chronic seasickness, but I don't think she'd mentioned it to us at all before. <laughs> she hadn't. She and really I, hadn't. I think I, I just haven't been on a boat for, a, I don't think, a long time or only maybe the ferries over to France. And so almost as soon as we'd set off, maybe an hour or so into it, both Helen and I were both being quite sick. But I was really lucky because I would be sick and then I was fine until I felt sick again another hour or so later. Um, mm. So I could carry on rowing, but Helen just could not. She just couldn't sit up and 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 cope at all. So the only place she could be was lying down in the cabin. So she went into the cabin and stayed in the cabin for almost the whole way across. She did come out at the end and help us row because we were struggling towards the end. But um, she took the bucket with her. So... Oh, the toilet bucket. Yes. Oh, so that was a big lesson. Take a spare yes, bucket. Wasn't it on the North Sea where you tried going over the side and almost tipped the boat? Over? It did almost capsize the boat because the men just go. The men say, mm. "Oh, it's fine. Just stick it over the side, and there you off you go." And so girls have to turn around and do it the other way. And I leant over, and literally the boat came right out. <laughs> Yeah. Well, do you know, I had a similar uh, conversation with um, Mandy Hickson, who is a, who was the RAF's second ever fast jet tornado frontline pilot, female pilot. And she spent her whole career flying in war zones with no way of going to the loo unless she wanted to wear a nappy. Oh, wow. And she was saying it's just ridiculous. Like even the, the flying suits were not made for women. She's like, how is that? So after we'd finished chatting, I said to her, um, has that ever, has that changed? She said, no, it hasn't. It's still not changed. And apparently once she'd written her book, um, she had a PhD student contact her. She said, I'm trying to figure out how to make flight suits for women. So now they're, now they're on a mission because they're like, it's just so easy for the men. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, back to the matter in hand. So you got across the North Sea and I'm I'm really interested in the two two and a half year journey before, and I I mean from a sort of a stamina and grit and resilience perspective. Because when I think about, as you well know, because I contacted you through Graham after I read your book, going, "Oh my God, I totally want to do that." But <laughs> the one thing that really really puts me off is that part, because you seriously need absolutely to be very motivated determined and and presumably quite disciplined to get that part out of the way yeah definitely but I think part of that appealed to all of us because we all had such different strengths and mm. it meant that we could all take a little bit of it or work in pairs or work in threes and really get you know I'm sure it appealed to your OCD nature Nikki didn't it with lists and dropbox <laughs> yeah, folders and you know and it, it I think it appealed to all of us in all sorts of different ways and I mean, it, you, you'll have read in the book, you know, we organised this ball at the York Race Course, mm. which, you know, none of us had ever organised any event before. Maybe we'd had part to do with our own weddings, but nothing else since then, I don't think. And we, we had 300 guests and it was such mm. fun to rope in other people to help us and took us off completely out of our comfort zones in all sorts of different directions. So I think Although it was a bit intimidating when we first sat down and thought about everything that we needed to do, mm. we completely embraced it. We were never really overfaced by it. I think if we'd stopped to think deeply about it, we would have <laughs> taken a deep breath and maybe <laughs> thought twice, but we just jumped in with all feet. I think having people to share the burden was a big thing. 
Yeah. I think, and I don't know about Francis and the others, but if I'd have been doing it on my own, oh, it, 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 I mean, A, I wouldn't have had the fun, but, but I just, it would have been a lot of pressure to take mm. on your own. I, I think, agree. I think sharing that, yeah. that was was what made it really work. Francis is absolutely right on that point. And the strengths that, you know, Francis has got, I don't. Mm. So so I was able to lean on different people, you know, when I needed some help or just need some guidance or just needed somebody to say, keep going, you know, you're okay. So And so do you think that finding out the strengths that you each had before you got on the boat was, you know, you were halfway there already and knowing how you would rely on each other? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, the boat still gave us plenty of surprises, but um, (laughs) good and bad. But but I think, you know, I think we definitely kind of knew each other quite well, um, well enough to know who should take what roles on the boat. Mm -hmm. And, And I think those kind of stayed those roles all the way throughout we just sometimes discovered extra things mm. or maybe discovered that we didn't like certain things and and again that's where the teamwork came through you know you you had people there that if one person maybe got a bit annoyed with you being a certain way or doing something another person actually understood you and, and could help you get it through it and 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 that's what team's all about. You're not all meant to be the same and you're not all meant to mm-hmm. have the same strengths and weaknesses and that's why. And did you, I mean, so it sounds like in sort of a strange way that, I mean, it was purely by chance that you found each other. I mean, you, you, obviously the three of you knew each other a little bit, but that you found, you know, equal members of a team just purely by chance. I mean, that surely doesn't happen very often. It uh, it really doesn't. Since since we came back, we have done quite a lot of talks. And one woman, when we went to talk to Aviva and a group of people there up in Scotland, which was you know, an adventure in itself, wasn't it, Nikki? It was brilliant. <laughs> it was, um, it was great. And actually, it wasn't even somebody who worked at Aviva. It was the friend of someone who worked there who'd kind of gate crashed into our talk because she wanted to talk to us. And she said, you cannot believe how fortunate you are that when you ask that question, would you like to row an ocean, that you found people who would say yes. She said she would really mm. wanted to do lots of adventures and lots of things, but she couldn't find anyone to do any of them with her. So, you know, how amazing and how lucky were we that we could find four people who all happened to be in the same rowing club who all wanted to do this, you know, amazing thing. It is, it is amazing. And it's that's one of the reasons I love where we live, because I'm surrounded by people who go, oh, yeah, that's a terrible idea. When do we go? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what time <laughs> yeah they sound like great friends <laughs> yeah and I really I mean I suppose I've always had an, a, an adventurous streak but I traveled around the world on my own when I was 23 because I couldn't find anyone else that wanted to do it everyone else was off getting jobs or whatever but I finally found this place here where we just I'm just and I have my adventure wife um who was one of my teammates for that scheme engineering race I was just telling you about and I ha- actually had to wrench your book out of her hands because I was like I need that back I'm interviewing them because <laughs> she's like and she's just at the beginning of having her babies we're 10 years apart in age so we're a little bit mismatched at the moment unfortunately but we're just every time something happens one of us will ping the other going ready adventure wife oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so that is absolutely I love that it's really amazing and I love uh so a couple of things I can't that the theme throughout this we've sort of touched on the mum guilt and the doing stuff for yourself to you know to give your kids and families inspiration and and strengthening of their 
relationships. But I love the sort of the theme throughout. So often you mention in the book that when you were in the thick of it in La Gomera the year before and then at, at the time before the start and in many places down at Ranach where you had the boat made, nobody questioned you. Nobody said, really? What are you four mums from Yorkshire thinking of doing? And I loved, you said, Francis, in the book that women can lose confidence with age and that being, it's a, so I, I don't know which of you said it, but a rare feeling of empowerment for a woman not to be judged. And I wondered if you could speak about that a little bit, maybe Francis, since I quoted you there. Yeah, do you know, absolutely. It, it, we believed in ourselves, which was brilliant, and we'd never had any doubts that we would do this race and that we'd finish. But from the very, very beginning, nobody down at Rannoch and nobody when we got to Lagomera treated us any differently than any of the other people in the race. And th- I mean, this race, I suppose, a bit like the Marathon des Sables, maybe, it, it, there aren't that many races where any number of generations compete side by side. Mm. And, you know, the youngest person, I think, in our race was 18. The oldest one was 72. We were towards the older end of it. But no, nobody ever for a second made us feel not welcome. And I think, you know, I, I don't know whether ocean rowing is an elite sport or an exclusive sport. It is in, in many ways, but we only ever felt utterly and completely included. And even though it's a race, you know, when you get to Lagomera, everyone just wants to help each other. Everyone shares equipment. If you need advice about something, if you need to borrow a tool or whatever it is, everybody is just there to see if they can make your experience better and more, you know, more whole. It was really liberating being in Lagomera those two, two and a half weeks before we set off. Amazing, because one of the things you say in the book, boat is that, sorry, in the book was that the contrary to that was when you were sort of starting to get ready to do this right at the beginning of your journey, that you realized that until you had the physical boat in your possession, that people weren't going to start to take you seriously. It was definitely a chicken and egg thing that... Yeah, we had to, we had some long discussions, and that's where we had to borrow some money to get the boat because the sponsorship was one of the hardest mm. things. I don't know about you, Francis. It was so difficult, and and that it was at that point when we were getting the sponsorship that until we had the boat, people didn't. I think maybe hundred percent believe that we were actually going to go all the way. Mm. So having the boat definitely helped with the sponsorship, um, and I think that's the reason that we got the boat as early as we did. Mm. Um, but then it did help because actually it built our confidence getting out on her and just, and again, some of the fun that we had and complete again, disasters that we had (laughs) just even on the river, you know, the times that we'd try and get the boat in the water and it just, just go all horribly wrong. And one of us had ended up under the water and Francis was the one that generally had to get in the water with her (laughs) wetsuit with a hole in it. (laughs) So the water was all going. So she probably had about five minutes before she froze and get a hand under to, to get the, the rudder in because you had to put the rudder in manually after you got the boat in. And the shouting that used to, is it in yet? No, bit there. And it would just go on and on. And then coming in to, to dock after being on the river, if it's a bit windy, you know, the amount of times that we'd end up crashing into the side. Or there's one time where we Jeanette was hung onto the side of the boat and she, she was there trying to get onto dry land and the boat was coming and it was a bit quick and she got one foot on there it was just one of those movie moments where her both her legs just oh. went out and out 
<laughs> and eventually she managed to launch herself back into the boat. And oh, I mean, it was just absolutely hilarious. But we had the boat, so we actually we managed to get really familiar with her. Mm. And um, and we did love that boat so much. She became a real team member. I I took that very much from the book um rose as she was known um as she is still known i understand because you can't change the name of a boat uh, like a house or a horse apparently um <laughs> um and i love that that she became the fifth member of your team being a woman and you know being female and, and so I, you speak so fondly of her and how she looked after you so well i love that it, and Charlie Pitcher has a lot, you know, we've got a lot to be thankful to him for, I think. He gave us some really, really sound advice one of the first times that we met him, which was to say that try not to think of yourself when you're on the boat. Try and think of the others, because if you do that, you've got three people looking out for you, not just one person looking out mm. for you, which was brilliant. But he also told us really early on that he had he'd built a lifeboat for us. So it wasn't that, you know, if we ever needed to, you know, evacuate the boat, really, that's the worst thing you can possibly do. Stay on the boat because that's the lifeboat mm. already. And, you know, the two cabins, he said, even if you've chopped it in half, you've then just got two smaller lifeboats because of the way he designed it. And I think, yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes when we were in those little cabins, especially in bad weather, and we were, you know, bouncing up and down. Nikki was in the cabin at the other end to to me when we had some really bad weather. And I think it bounced so much up and down there. But the longer we were kind of confined to the cabins, the more confident we got in the ability of the boat to look mm. after us. Because Nikki, you really struggled with the claustrophobia, especially during the hurricane that you came up against, didn't you? Yeah, and I, do you know, I never really knew. And I mean, I, I probably didn't, never liked really, really enclosed spaces, um, but not, not, you know, it was nothing that you would even think mm. of before you went. And those cabins, as we got further and further across, it just got harder and harder to go in them. Um, and it, it wasn't so much going in them, it was the shutting of the doors. Mm. And the doors had to be shut. There were se special sealed doors with a special air vent in that wouldn't let water in. But the air vents, like, it was literally there as a, you would say you didn't die from carbon monoxide yeah. poisoning. But, um, but you'd shut this door and it was sealed and you had to seal, seal the door shut. And as we got further and further across, it just got worse. And, and it was that closing of the door. I, I say to people now, I liken it to, for me, it was almost that point where you just felt like you were getting inside an oven. Mm. And shutting the door and somebody holding it shut and not letting you out, you know, it was oh. that sort of really. And the yes, the hurricane was was the nail in the coffin for that one because we were. How long were we in there for, Francis? Oh, in I think the it cabins, was, it was seventy hours, something like that. Seventy-two hours, yeah. It, it, and you know, I kept trying to, <laughs> which is terrible. Which is why you have a skipper. It's, <laughs> you need to be told um, when you don't want to be told. Um, but you know, I actually would get my life jacket on and and all the harnesses because you had to clip on because obviously on the boat if you even not in stormy weather even flat weather if you're not clipped on and you go in the water there's a very good chance you're not going to get back on the mm. boat because the boat drifts you drift that's it and so in the hurricane <laughs> I would I would go out the only time you would go out is to go to the loo and you know you try and wait for a little dip in the weather and and I'd sneak out on deck because I needed the toilet, whether or not I needed it. And all hooked on. And I would 
hunker down in the corner, hanging onto the straps for dear life as you tossed around, the boat was tossed around in that sea. But I preferred being out there in all of that than being in the cabin. And then Jeanette would stick her head out and tell me that I was being rather stupid <laughs> and to get back in the cabin and I'd, and I'd go back in for a while. And when you um, decided that Jeanette was to be the skipper, I, I loved that section of the book actually where, you know, you just all honestly looked at yourselves and each other and said, no, this is the best decision. I noticed there's a few times such as that when you were just talking about in during the hurricane where she absolutely had to put her foot down. How easy or otherwise was it to accept her authority? I'm not sure if that's quite the words I'm looking for, but hopefully you grasp what I mean, because, you know, you, you all worked so well as a team, but you realized you had to have a skipper. Was it was it an easy thing to get used to? Yeah, in the end, it absolutely it was easy. And we all we all supported the decision completely that Jeanette would be our skipper and we all agreed that if she made a decision that was a kind of skipper decision we would follow it regardless of what we thought even though you know we might have comments later but in the heat of the moment if there was an emergency situation what she said went mm. and we we all I think because we're all you know, leaders to different extents at work or have been in different jobs and careers and things. We know that it's not easy to be in charge. It's not easy to be the leader, especially when you've got difficult team members. So I think we all decided that we would be as agreeable team members as we possibly <laughs> could. I mean, that's not to say Jeanette and Helen had a few little discussions, <laughs> shall we say. And Nikki, Nikki and I didn't really, did we? We we never, Nikki and I are both similar, I think, I'm right in saying this, that we don't need to have the last word at all. We can have the last thought quietly in our heads and just let it go at that. So we, we were fine, completely fine with that. I, th I mean, I don't know if you would agree with that, Nikki, but yeah, it was easy to right. accept Jeanette's yeah. authority. Yeah, it was. And, and it's, it's, it is quite nice in certain respects. So when when there is something significant going on, and it's we used to call it an all hands on deck, it's it is quite nice sometimes to have one person mm. taking control, and they're not taking control because you know they are the best person at everything. They're taking control because somebody has to. Mm. Somebody has to make a decision. Somebody has to say either enough's enough or everyone's got to get out here and do something or something's got to happen. And and you can't run it with four leaders. Mm. You just can't. But um, Helen and Jeanette were very much like a little married couple at times. So it was <laughs> it was funny. They they would bicker away, but they're the best of friends, you know. But it, it was just it was it was actually quite entertaining to watch occasionally. And but yeah, we all we all had to be told at those points. And as you are all in, as you just said, Francis, in your real lives, uh, sort of leaders. Was there an element of re relief, maybe too strong, but nice to have somebody else take make the final decision sometimes? Oh, definitely. One, one of the things that really appealed to me when we were first starting to learn to row was the fact that when you're in the boat, you just do what you're told. Mm. You don't have to make a decision at all. I, I love the fact that in a rowing boat, Everybody has their own job and nobody can do anybody else's job. Mm. And you just do what you're told when the cox shouts or speaks or whatever. You just do that. So it, it, it was a relief. Relief is exactly the right word. And what else did you, I, I love the, the sort of towards the end of the book, you got the, you know, you all, obviously there were ups and downs the whole way for all of you in different ways, but that sort of getting into that kind of flow state of just 
we're here, it's quiet, we've just got this job to do. How, how does that, can you expand on that a little bit? Because it just sounds hard, but amazing. It is, I think we'd, we all had a couple of jobs to do on mm. the boat. We didn't, the, the, there isn't a lot to do on the boat other than row and these couple of jobs each. But everyone had a couple of jobs and the jobs took a long time because on a boat in an ocean going up and down, it was, it was everything took 10 times as long. Um, but it, it was quite nice having those couple of jobs to do. And each of those couple of jobs was different to the next person's. Mm. And you became like a little mini expert in those little <laughs> things. It was it was great. You know, and everyone did. So Helen used to boil the water. Mm-hmm. And every day, it, as long as we, the weather, you know, we could actually light the little burner and we could actually boil water. She would boil the water and fill up the flasks. And it would take her quite a long time. But it was a job and it was yours, you know, and, and you knew that was your responsibility on the boat. But other than that, you could appreciate everything around you. Mm. And, you know, we'd be sat at different times of the day. There were so many different things. You know, nighttime was my favourite. I loved the nights. And you just have the waves. And sometimes it was quite a little bit calmer. Sometimes there were quite choppy waves. But you always had the stars above you. Mm. And you know, I'd never seen stars like those because I, I say to people now, I'll never probably experience it again unless I can get to the right place. Uh, you know, there's no light pollution. Mm-hmm. And the stars, especially when they're reflected in the ocean, you felt like you were in a bubble. Yeah. You felt like you could just put your hand up and touch the stars. They, were, they just seemed that close. They were so dark. And the, the calm, even when the noisy waves, the waves were always there, so you kind of filtered them out. But the calm and you just at night you'd be rowing and either thinking to yourself listening to a bit of music you never get that time at home mm. the continuous time of reflection and just time to yourself you know without lots of stress and distractions so while they had all the stress on the boat of all different things mm. this was special time you know this was something that was a gift yeah i've, I've read that in in all the ocean rowing boats that just that switching off from absolutely everything as you say a few jobs and then just nothing no no nothing it sounds magical (laughs) it really was to live in a world where there really are no deadlines at all you couldn't I mean we were late sometimes for changing our shifts by maybe a minute but you couldn't be late for anything Mm. and you know we we had no obviously no money, no money worries to think about there. We had no, you know, to not wear shoes was lovely. <laughs> to not wear clothes some of the time was really liberating. Yeah, And to just have no calls on your time other than rowing, eating, and then these odd jobs that we each had was, it, it's a very special time that you can't replicate really in any other, in any other aspect of life. And did you manage to keep that I know I realized that afterwards it was all a bit frantic and the readjustment to to real life was hard but after that had died down I mean that's at least what I understand from the book but after that had died down did you manage to keep that or be be able to recall that or use that or do you still I definitely you talked about the OCD and and you know liking to be in charge as in in the house and things like that it definitely changed me in ways that I now, rather than rushing around trying to make everything just right, um, I give myself time now, and and I don't feel guilty about it. Mm. 
So I will, I read a lot more. I was always an avid reader, but I, I actually allow myself the time to read. Um, I walk a lot more and I'm, you know, I, I actually like not having music and things in my ears and things. So I'll, I'll spend a lot more time just with myself and I, and I quite like it. Whereas before I struggled being with myself a little bit. And so, yeah, yeah. in a way, managed it. Excellent. And Francis? Yeah, I, I think not all the time because <laughs> work can get really, mm. you know, I'm back into work and almost was almost straight away. Um, and that brings its own pressures, doesn't it? But yeah. I think I'm a lot more patient than I used to be. I mean, when I, I reread the book again myself this weekend and, you know, I do come across, I think, as quite relaxed. And I think I'm, if anything, even more relaxed about things that I just don't think are important. You know, I don't mind if there's a bit of mud on the carpet at home. Mm. I don't mind if, you know, certainly with my children, I've got, I feel so much more patience with them. And really, hardly anything is worth getting excited about. Yeah. And, you know with them about because yeah. you, know, you do feel I guess you know missing out on three months of their life was quite a long time still mm. it was quite a, a burden and I think we all came back and felt absolutely determined that we'd realized just how important family and friends were and just how important relationships were mm-hmm. and how we wanted to really focus on deeper connections that's lovely I I, I think that's a what a lovely thing to have taken away from it all, especially given the, the the very strong connection you've formed as a four. I love the fact that you say, all of you in the book say that you feel like you became family to each other. Yeah, I think we could, we, could, uh, we, I think friends can be very polite to each other. Mm. Um, and I think we ended up a bit more like sisters mm-hmm. in a way that you can be honest and ha- fall out with each other, mm-hmm. but you're sisters. So that, that love sort of sits behind and and sort of carries you through. It's a, I think it's a little bit of a different relationship. It's a much more sort of honest relationship, I think. And what would you say, Francis? I'll start with you. What what would you say were the darkest or worst times in the whole journey? And I mean everything from the two and a half years of planning to the three months on the boat. Have you got any times you can think that you thought, what on earth am I doing? This is just all too much. <laughs> There were certainly beforehand, there were only a couple of times when, you know, we'd we'd agreed to do this and we'd told each other, but we hadn't really told anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't even told my job, my employer at the time. <laughs> and, you know, I knew I was going to ask them, but we'd signed up for it. We paid our deposit and I hadn't told them. And uh, uh, every now and then I would just get that sort of moment of complete panic thinking, what on earth am I doing? this is the most ridiculous thing and it it, when you say to people that you're going to row across an ocean it feels silly to even say it out Mm. loud and you do think people will just laugh at you so I had a few of just those split second panic moments thinking why on earth have I signed up to this because it's such a mountain to climb and I think I don't know if Nikki will say the same, probably slightly different because Nikki, you know, really loved the big waves at night that were really frightening. Oh, yeah. And I didn't love the big waves that were really <laughs> frightening. Um, but there was a time, wasn't there, maybe, I don't know, two thirds of the way across when our auto helm had completely burnt out and we were trying to steer the boat from inside the, what we called the office with the rudder compartment. And Nikki and I were in there together, just swapping every 15 minutes. And I did just think, you know, if we've got to do this for the rest of the time rowing across, Mm. it was, you know, so, so hot. 
And it was soul destroying, wasn't oh, it? Because was you had awful. to actually put your hand on the rudder and steer the rudder yourself to the to the um, compass. You know, it was it was awful. And in the middle of the night, we had the red cabin lights on, so all the film and footage we've got, we looked like we're in a horror movie, <laughs> and we were just dripping with sweat. I think we were probably completely naked because we were so hot, but dripping yeah. with it was just awful. <laughs> that probably was the low point going across. And how do you? How did you come out of that? Like, how long did that sort of those feelings? last like is that just in the the two-hour shift or whatever it is that you're in that cabin dealing with that and then once you're in the fresh air you go well I feel a bit better or can that last for a few days because I know Nikki you went into a bit of a dive for a, a good while yeah I, I, that was so like Francis I loved the waves I I absolutely <laughs> adored those big waves and again I liked being outside so my mm. problem was probably a mix of of the terror of getting in the cabins mm. um, and and the missing the family which again therapeutically I mean it probably did more for me on that journey than oh, I don't know three years with a, psych- a psychiatrist but um you know I, I I wasn't used to being on my own away from my family and I was you know the girls used to always tease me because I'd ring Gareth about 20 times in an hour you know when we're out and about doing things and and uh, there's a lot of reliance there I think and and it, it was really difficult for me. And I had a real slump. And I think that they had to have a little intervention with me on the boat. And it was the right thing to do, you know, just get me out of it. And it did. And it perked me up. And I can remember, you know, each of the girls sort of spending time with me and sort of getting me out of my funk by just, you know, chatting about things and giving me, you know, sort of questioning what was I going to do here and how the how was I going to decorate a quick kitchen, you know, back, back in the <laughs> UK and daft things. But and it slowly just brought me back out. And um, so for me, my lowest point was definitely the cabins and on the boat and and the missing of the family so that was about halfway across that that got quite quite nasty but but before we went my big fear was as I mentioned earlier was about not going yeah you know so so that bit where I wasn't going and everyone else was so there was that horrible that point where I, I thought actually I'm not going to get to do this and I really really want to and, you know, when you were saying that the, the girls staged an intervention and linking into the, you know, family can say things to to you that perhaps your friends wouldn't. When they told you that the how you were feeling was starting to affect them, did you register that straight away or how did that make you feel? Um, that was the kind of probably the starting point of, of really sort of the mindset change, because actually when you're not aware that actually you're just in this miserable hole mm. and you don't realize that anything's kind of going on around you you don't you just think it's you mm. and you don't realize it's impacting anybody else and it was the point where actually when you start thinking oh my god you know that's that's just so not right you can't be affecting other people this journey's so different for for each of them mm. it's not fair for me to be to be bringing that down so um so that was the start of of getting me out of that so it was a good thing like I said it was a great thing to do and it was the right mm. thing to do you know both for me and for everybody on the boat good I want to read you something that I um heard today so do you know who I mean by Mark Beaumont the round the world cyclist yes yes, yes. so he holds the world record for cycling around the world anyway his a documentary was just released today and <laughs> we sat down and watched it immediately because it, and it is absolutely brilliant and it's a brutal journey I mean he went around the world in 79 days wow. and 
he, he, d- he did um, 240 miles a day plus for every single one of those days on his bike. It's extraordinary. Has he got a bottom left? Well, not much. <laughs> <laughs> not much of anything left. Uh, he lost a tooth. He smashed his elbow. He's, you know, but it's, uh, and it's, it is just, and it's a beautifully made film, but this is what he says right at the end. I want to read this to you and see what you think. It says, not many people get or create the opportunity to figure out what their personal best is, to really put it all out there and physically and mentally figure out what's possible. So I'll never take that for granted. And I always said, regardless of the outcome, we're never going to regret giving this a go. Does that ring bells for you too? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And the thing I am most proud of about the whole thing isn't doing the ocean row. It's setting off to do it and having mm. the having the guts really to start, even though, you know, often in the race, this year's race has been really, really successful, but often in the race there are one or two boats who don't make it beyond the first three or four days. Mm. And so the race starts just before Christmas and sometimes people are back home at Christmas back in England because for whatever weather conditions or mechanical failure or whatever reason, mm. they just don't don't make it beyond the first few days. And, you know, I just think, you know, people say, weren't you courageous and weren't you brave on the boat? But I think we were brave and courageous because we set off. Well, the, the, I think the, the, the bravery started with the, the email with you driving to work <laughs> thinking, well, I can't do this for the rest of my life. This is just not happening. And, and saying you know, we've got to try something new, just leap into an adventure. I think that's when it starts. It's yeah. very it's very difficult, I think, sometimes to say yes. Mm. And I think it is one of those things that we should definitely do more. I, I used to think before the row and that I wasn't going to be good enough to do things. Mm. And so it put me off doing things because I thought I'm not going to be good enough. Um, what I now realise is, you don't have to be anything. As Francis says, just just give things a go. Say yes. It doesn't matter if you come last in things, but you've <laughs> like gone out did there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we didn't come last. <laughs> <Nearly>. <laughs> but you go out there and you enjoy the experience. And, you know, you can put your head down and you can, in fact, you know, I remember um, it, it was possibly um, Graham and... It was possibly Graham that said it actually, and and he they came to meet us on the marathon de Sarp when we came over the line. It might have been the the, the two day, um, mm. the doubler, and um, Fran- Francis and I came across the line, and the guys had all come to meet us because they finished mm. God probably a day before us, and <laughs> they all came to meet us and they carried our water and we're chatting. Oh, we saw this spider and we did this. Oh, and when we went over the dunes and oh, it was great. And they said, you know, you've been, you've noticed things that actually they got their heads down and they've did amazing mm. times, but they said we didn't even see that. Yeah. And I think that's it. I think you, when you do things, sometimes you do need to take the time to look around. Oh, quite absolutely. I could not agree with you more. I am a solid two thirds of the way back in the pack where all the best banter happens yeah. kind of gal. Yeah. <laughs> where you meet people and you chat and you're you're all working hard anyway, but you're just, you're there. And the very first time I did a ski mountaineering race, someone said to me, it's a really beautiful race. Don't forget to look up. Mm. And it's so true because you can, as you say, you can just get your head down and get cracking on. But I, I love what you're saying about, you know, having been someone that never thought you could do stuff because we're all about the same age, similar age. 
And I used to think that. I was quite adventurous, but I was never sporty, ever, not till I was nearly 40. And just the fact that you would go, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm too slow or I'm, I'm, I'm really unfit. And I used to say no to loads of things and you can't regret it because it is what it is, but it's just such an extraordinary feeling to actually, you know, when people say to me now, do you want to go for a bike ride? Do you want to go skinning, skiing? And I just go, yeah, I do. Even though I'm probably going to be the slowest and holding everybody up, it doesn't matter. I love it. It's definitely the right thing to do. It totally is. And it's part of the reason I started this podcast, because I just thought, well, I don't know if I'll be any good at it, but I'm just going to start it because it sounds like fun. So, <laughs> so, um, so uh, yeah, so you did, you went on to do the Marathon de Sable after you finished and you were back and uh, because it sort of lit a fire in you. Francis, you were already quite sort of sporty. That's right. Isn't that right? Yeah, I I used to do cross country running when I was at school and and at university and kind of carried that on through. But I hadn't done any of these sort of ultras or adventure Mm. races um, until then. I did the rat race coast to coast across Scotland, I think, in 2012, which Mm -hmm. is kayaking and cycling. So and some of the open water swims and things I'd done as well. Once you dip under the surface of all these races, you just realize how many there are. Mm, I know. And then the stress becomes I haven't got very long left. I've just yes. got to like, <laughs> and flipping COVID is just knocking them all on the oh, head absolutely. at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So Francis, I, um, we were speaking before and I know you've gone on, you've done um, the ancient Khmer path you were saying in Cambodia. That sounds absolutely amazing. And um, Nikki, you've renovated your house that I know from painful experiences and adventure in itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, the, the, one of the things that I did before that was a three-day bike ride um, from coast to coast in the UK, and that mm. quite like cycling, Simon. So mm. A little bit on the old cycling side now that the nice. house gets done. And you've awesome. a place in the London Marathon, haven't you, Nikki? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> so that's this October. It was meant to be last year, but that's that's bounced ahead. And I'm not very good at running, so that's going to be a bit of a challenge for me. Oh, that's amazing! How cool! Yeah, you see, the thing is, I've. <laughs> I'm totally happy signing up for Marathon de Saab thinking it's fine. I can just, you know, I'll just power walk most of it and do a little bit of jogging. But the thought of doing an actual marathon on the road just fills me with absolute horror. (laughs) So I totally take my hat off to you for that. That's amazing. So if you were to sum up the, the sort of in a few sentences or whatever, what you took from this and what you would say to people who are not even necessarily middle-aged mums like we all are but anybody who has that sort of oh well oh I'll just do it another day or whatever Francis what would you say what did you learn what would you say I would say just to have a go at anything you feel like having a go at and don't worry if you're not any good at anything because it's about enjoyment and joy it's about finding the joy in things and you don't have to be good at something to do that and then usually if you find something you enjoy you tend to you tend to get better at it anyway absolutely yeah you do and you know Nikki probably will agree with me I think on this the people that we have met on the events that we've done, the rowers mm. that we met, the people all in, involved in the organisation of the row, the team at the, Mar- at the Marathon des Sables were just unbelievable, really. The support team and the team in our tent were brilliant. And the people that you meet when you take part in these events, and Nikki's exactly right because the people at the back are chatty. They're much friendlier than those speedy people. At the front. 
I love it. <laughs> and Nikki? I would say the same thing. The people, um, you get to meet the most interesting people. And, and if you've got a story to tell and you meet somebody else just out and about and you suddenly you have, it gives you something in common because actually it's amazing how many people have a story to tell mm. and it, and it brings it all out and it gives you something in common. But yeah, just, just say yes to some things because I think one of the things I've learned is that you never really genuinely have enough time to do anything like this. You have to make the time, you have to say yes and then figure it out because Otherwise, you spend all of your time thinking, you know, how am I going to fit it in? Just just say yes, and it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, that's fine. It, it might never be perfect each time. But, uh, but it, you know, say yes. Don't worry about it. They applaud the most when you come in last. So you oh. need to get people <laughs> running behind you. Yeah, as long as long as the bands haven't gone home, I've yeah. done cycling trips, where, cycling events yeah. where I've been. I'm like, stop packing up! I'm still yeah. out on the course, you, yeah. <laughs> you horrors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I think that's amazing. I love that, and that the the stories and the and the just saying yes, it's absolutely the way forward. Um, I cannot thank you enough. I'm so, I'm so thrilled to finally spoken to you because I feel I. I know I might sound like a bit of a weirdo, but I kind of feel like I know you already <laughs> from reading the book. I just, I loved it so much as I've read it twice now. As I say, it's been out and about, done the rounds around the village. Um, now, I heard Graham mentioning earlier that there were, uh, just before we finish, potentially being made or could have been, would have been, might be made into a movie. Yes, certainly the, talked about, wasn't it? Yeah. We had the right sport and um, I think... COVID and everything has probably knocked that on the head. So whether it rears again afterwards, we don't know. It's just one of those things that seems to have gone very quiet with everything that's mm. been going on. And, um, and you know, a movie would be nice, but in a way I kind of I – don't, I almost don't want a movie because I don't want it to be different to in my memories. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just really <laughs> weird. Because uh, yeah. I, I think you find with these things that – your memory has already skewed how it was mm. even by the time you finished. So never mind seeing somebody else. But who's who would be your dream person to play you? I've had this argument so many times. Oh, <laughs> oh no, you got you must have someone we used to in mind. Steal each other's people, didn't we? We did. <laughs> Hello. And we'd who obviously always pick somebody that was younger than us. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think, did I used to say Emily Blunt? She would be you amazing. Did. And then I used to like her and think, oh, she's got yeah. her first. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and she's far I, too young anyway. She needs yeah. Yeah. <laughs> far too. Yeah. She is amazing though. Yeah, good point. I think maybe she I'd is. like her to play me too in my movie. <laughs> oh, thank you girls so much for your time. It has been uh just uh, a brilliant pleasure on top of reading the book and to hear all about your adventure. I loved it. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. No, oh, thank you for having us, Katie. It's been great. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.